Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. This conversation is with someone who I promised at the end I would want to meet 10 years from now when she's 27. I'm just doing the math in my head and I'd be I'd be crowding 90 to do this, but I really want to stay well and stay involved in this work of understanding practice until Mahaska Stiegler is 27, because by then so much of the promise that you'll hear about as we talk in the way her practice life is going to go will be pretty far along. I guess she still will be playing the accordion but she will have finished her education in Germany and she'll be probably doing a lot in the publishing realm because she was at 16 and 17 doing extraordinarily good copy editing and proofreading on our book on practice as a way of being. I've got, I've never met her and she's going to take quite a risk to get in front of a camera with me but so she did, and, and the conversation was, I hope you will find quite enlightening about the nature of practice as you are becoming uh, an adult, as you're moving through those early years. And you'll hear uh, how collecting experiences and seeing their connection and putting them together as your way of being is something that does often start early in life as it is with Mahaska. And hopefully you all know a teenager like her because that's where my hopes for the future are placed right now. So here is Mahaska Stiegler. Well, I, I, I think some of you might who know when you followed this series that at least once or twice during the 170, now 72 episodes, uh, because the 71st is just coming up before this one with Mahaska Stegla, that uh, I had a conversation with uh, Sam Tyndall, who was at that time just turning 17. And he was the son of a good friend, as is Mahaska the daughter of Teo Ford Stigler, a very good friend. Why am I doing this when there are so many older people running around the world who I could do this, um, have this conversation with? Well, the answer is the same with Sam as it is with Mahaska. What caught my attention is that there were two people who already seemed to know what practice meant to them without having the words or the definitions. They pursued interest, big eye, because it felt right and because there were definitely rewards and disappointments along the way. For Sam, at 12, started rebuilding V8 engines. Today, he's 17, and he's, his little company, Sam's V8, is a going enterprise, but he's still in high school. And and won't say that he'll be doing this when he's a sophomore in college. He may go in a whole different direction. But during that very developmental stage of Sam's life, he found some things that really 
really mattered a lot to him to the extent that he made sacrifices uh, to do it. So, Mahaska, do you rebuild V8 engines? No. <sighs> then I'm going to have to find out what you do because uh, I only thought maybe V8 engines. What? What is there something like that that you've discovered in your 10, 11, 12 years now that you're older uh, that really caught you up and has held on to you ever since? I play the accordion. There. <laughs> this conversation is over. <laughs> no, that's it. That's not ma not many in quotes kids uh, were. Uh, fascinated with rebuilding old engines and probably not many kids in your in your circles play the accordion no why the accordion um i took piano lessons starting when i was six um and i liked it and i liked making music but it wasn't right and it wasn't it didn't really resonate with me very much. It was just kind of like a, like I was, I was trying to seek a means to an end, but it wasn't like something that I was very passionate about. Um, and in middle school, I joined um, a mariachi band and they were interested in adding accordion. And I thought, well, there's my chance. I'll see if that's fun for me. Uh, and then it was, so. A middle school mariachi band in yeah. Ohio. That that in itself is context. What Peter Vale and I would say that context bloomed an accordionist named Mahaska. Uh, why did they need an accordionist? Is accordion is that something that's tr traditional to the the sound um, of that music? Yeah, a lot of a lot of traditional Mexican music has the accordion because it was pretty heavily influenced by uh german immigrants who brought polka to that part of the world um huh. and they had had an accordion a few years uh, before i joined but then there was a senior who graduated and they were like oh maybe we should do that again and i was like oh well then i guess i'll play the accordion now did they provide you an accordion uh no my dad traded a guitar for one at a second oh. music store. Oh my lord! <laughs> <laughs> so therefore, the commitment of your father was that he had to walk after that wherever he went because he had no car. I'm sure there was another car in picture, but that's oh, that's um, a, a guitar. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know how old these ears are. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, guitar, and and your dad has a lot of different musical talents singing yeah. all kinds of string instruments and so forth so uh, but still even he as uh open-minded as i know him to be might say oh mahaska the kids will tease you delta someone will start humming lady of spain uh they'll ask for the beer barrel did you have to deal with any of that? Not necessarily from your dad, but from your peers? 
Um, not really. I go to an art school, which is uh, probably why I had the opportunity to join a mariachi band. Um, but they mostly just think it's it's a little bit weird, but mostly cool because very few people in my peer group play the accordion. How does it feel when you have a chance? I mean, right now you can't be playing and I won't ask you to, but it would be fun to hear you. But is there uh, that feeling? And this gets to the uh, nature of practice uh, where, you know, I haven't played accordion all day or at least this week. And you just want to go and pick it up and start whatever you do with <laughs> with both, you know, squeezing and, and, and running your fingers. Does you get that impulse? Um, I think with a lot of things, I mostly operate in like, like long stretches. Like if I don't have a gig to practice for or like a, a practice, then I'll just kind of forget about it. And then I'll go, Oh, I should play the accordion. Then I play the accordion for two hours and then I forget about it for like another week. And so. <laughs> Do you ever think of composing uh, while you're playing your accordion? Um, or original Mahaska Stiglitz? I not not necessarily, although I do have to do kind of a lot of my own arranging because if I want to play something that isn't, you know, like mariachi music or klezmer, then I need to adapt it to that instrument because people aren't really running around making accordion charts for today's top 100. So it's going to happen. <laughs> I I predict. One day you'll be Mahaska with a bullet playing the um, and bringing the accordion back to the world as, as it should be. Because actually, I'll, I'll confess, I, I do love hearing a well-played accordion. Um, and there were a couple of kids in my years way back who took it up. I tried it and it was bulky and my coordination of fingers was horrible and still is. So it made noises similar to uh, Scottish bagpipes. <laughs> they said, that's it, Dave. Uh, the historical reason that the accordion was there in the mariachi movement, the, the fact that uh, the German immigrants had something to do with that. The, does that history of your personal history trace you back and make you want to know more about German, German history, since your dad and grandfather and other relatives came from there originally? Um, I, I think for the most part, my interest in, in history and in the accordion is fairly like separate. But um, I when I was first picking it up, I uh, went to Germany that summer and I was talking to my grandma and she said, Oh, your your great grandma used to play the accordion, you know, before the war. So that's really cool that you're bringing that back. And so that, yeah, in in a way, I think I feel a connection to it in that sense. Wow, that that must have felt really something like almost like a chill in the back of your neck. What a coincidence uh, that your great grandmother was an accordionist, and uh, and and that set reset your that part of your history, personal history back in, uh, in Germany. And do you have, in, do you have interest in learning German going forward or have you? Uh, I, I am actively just because I have 
the citizenship. And so since I'm approaching college, it's much cheaper and easier to just go over there to get my higher education because it won't be as expensive. So. So you've got to learn that like uh, up, update whatever language uh, you already have acquired. Uh, yeah. So you can participate in the German aspect of higher education there. Some of it they do in English, but as I understand from a friend of mine's daughter who spent two semesters in Germany in her junior year when she was at University of Virginia. And she basically had to speed learn Germany to, to fulfill that goal. And she did. <laughs> you, you've, uh, you, you've, you've already thought ahead to where you want to be uh, in college? Um, probably in the Hamburg or the Berlin area, just because that's where I've had family. Um, I've given thought to the Humboldt Institute just because I have an uncle who's an alumni. Um, but other than that, not, not quite. I'm probably going to spend a good part of this next year trying to figure that out. <laughs> Humboldt, that rings a bell. What, what is the Humboldt Institute? Um, it's, it's a university in Berlin. Mm -hmm. What do they specialize in? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I've really just looked at their history programs, which are, are pretty good. They have a lot of really, like they have a history of Azerbaijan course, mm -hmm. which I thought was really niche and interesting. Yeah, absolutely. In your current educational you're at the bart school bart school uh toledo school for the arts oh okay an art school school of the arts uh what are along with your participation in music with the accordion what are your academic interests um i've always been pretty good at english um I, I like I, I enjoy writing papers, especially if they're research papers. Um, and I really like history. Um, and next semester, I'm taking an earth and environmental science class because I've considered that also. Um, and then on top of the accordion, I also do a lot of theater. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Um improv uh classical what, what um, are the mostly i just uh plays and musicals and i've taken a few acting classes oh do they they produce musicals at your school yeah oh man that's great what was the last one you participated in um at my school the last one was two years ago now which was something rotten they've done musicals since but that was the last one i was in and then at the community level this past month, I was in The Lightning Thief, which is a musical adaptation of the Percy Jackson books by Rick Riordan. Oh, yeah. And I got to play um, the ferryman to the underworld. <laughs> that was a fun role for me. <laughs> uh, when you're doing a, a role, uh, do you find yourself really getting into the role and, and sort of stepping away from your day to day who you are and somewhat becoming that character and if so how does that make you feel um i think usually i i retain i i think you have to a little bit stay 
grounded in who you are as a person to kind of remember what you're doing because I don't learn in character. I only really perform in character. And so I'll have like in the back of my mind, knowing that I am like, you know, putting on a, putting on a different face, but I, um, I like to kind of stay grounded. Interesting. When you say you don't learn in character, what does that kind of mean in other words? Um, if, if a director is uh, like telling me where to go or if I'm trying to just memorize the lines, then I'm not yet fully aware of who the character is, I don't think. And so I'm figuring it out. And then once I have everything sort of figured out, then I can act. Yeah, that's that's pretty much life too, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All the world is a stage. <laughs> uh, you're serious. I'm, I'm giving you feedback. You're, you're serious in a lovely way. And I knew that when you were helping us with the book and, and doing some very keen-eyed um, proofreading uh, and, and putting up some interesting questions. But do you, what do you do for fun? <laughs> that's, that's an awful cliche uh, um, question. You could ask me the same and I could tell you very quickly, but what do you do for fun? I, I was checking my to-do list from yesterday to give you an answer to that question. Um, I like um, watching TV and movies is a pretty boring answer, but I really, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I really like uh, sitcoms and, and all kinds of movies. And I like kind of analyzing them and studying the characters and, yeah. Um, and I, I read quite a bit. Not I, I used to read a lot when I was younger. I don't as much anymore. Mm. I don't think. Um, I like going for walks. Um, I have two cats. Um, and I really, really enjoy uh Swedish disco sensation ABBA. Ah. Ah. Wow. Such a disclosure. Wow. <laughs> well, but don't tell anyone, but I, I do too. And there's <laughs> something about that sound. And, mm -hmm. uh, and probably millions of people would say the same thing, but not necessarily someone in your age group. I mean, they were around when my kids were in, you know, going up K-12. And so I would hear Arbor a little bit around the house. Arbor, you can tell I'm from Maine. It's Abba. Uh, but it, it's, uh, I actually, I, you know, I have, uh, what is that thing? <laughs> uh, the online radio station, uh, I don't, I just click it. I don't even remember the name anymore, but, but anyway, one of my choices, the station that I set up, it's not Spotify, but it's that other thing is, uh, is my ABBA station. And so when I'm, you know, like maybe when I was working on a book and I finally, and my head was full and I was tired, I need a little lift. I, I play some ABBA. Uh, and 
there I was. I was I was transported. You mentioned a duelist. And when I was thinking about our conversation this morning, when I was actually playing golf, I thought, what what would uh, uh, be a good conversation starter? Because when Peter uh, once said to me, we were just starting to bring in a third party for the, what we call the interludes in the podcast. And I said, Peter, how do, how, how do you, how should we play this? You know, he said, well, first don't ask them to, to don't let them ask us to tell them what practice is. Cause that's not our purpose. You, you'll hear practice when you, when you listen carefully, which I'm hearing, but he said, why don't you just ask them what they did yesterday to get started? <laughs> so it's that, that simple. It's that basic. It's that grounded to the word you just use in who we are as practitioners of, of, of something or anything is that we uh, work day to day. So my point in rambling along here was I said, why don't I ask Mahaska about her do list? So tell me what's on a few things on that do list that you just looked up to see. Um, the things I have checked off are that um, I went for a run yesterday morning and then I went to uh, my favorite coffee shop around the block because I had filled in all my little bubbles on my loyalty cards so I could get a free drink. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and then I... Um, I checked my email. I did my, my Duolingo on my phone. Um, I had a cardiologist appointment. Um, and then I did a lot of driving because I have my driver's test this Saturday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I did some laundry. Other than that, I didn't really do much yesterday. That was that was a full day. It really <laughs> was. Uh, and uh, is there anything about that list that you converted to a lesson learned? Something that you even going to use the the card where you had them all the bubbles checked. So anything that emerged that you made you go, hmm, that's different. That's new. I wasn't aware of that. Oh, um, well, when I went, uh, when I went to the coffee shop, I saw my sixth grade social studies teacher, um, and a few kids from my school. And I was really confused because I thought there was like a school event that I hadn't heard about. Um, but then I realized they were all doing summer school exams. Oh, aha. Uh -huh. And you didn't have to. <laughs> oh, no, I, um, I took summer classes a few years ago, but I didn't this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and did that, what did that you begin to speculate a little bit? Like what was summer school like for them now versus what it was for you? Anything that beyond the, the coincidence of seeing someone you knew in that little coffee shop? Um, the teacher that um, regulated the, the summer school stuff when I took it has since uh, worked somewhere else. And so I took my summer school exams in just like the computer lab. And I was a little bit jealous that they got to do it in the coffee shop. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. 
And, and that kind of, kind of tells you a little bit about how even schooling, your school, uh, sort of morphs and changes the way things basically get done. Now, there was a time in my day when any kind of exam was, you were almost like locked into a steel cage <laughs> and, and they put the, the book, the exam book in front of you and, and basically said, if you look left or right or anything else, you know, we're going to whip that book away and you're going to get, you're going to get an F. So it was a terrifying experience, particularly as we get into high school and proctors and even in college, there was this whole thing. Don't cheat, don't cheat, don't cheat. So here you are in a coffee shop having a beverage and taking an exam in a very relaxed manner. I would have much preferred that opportunity. Yeah. And so it shows to me trust. Does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that even in a day, which you nicely recorded, <laughs> uh, there's, there are these moments uh, of incongru incongruities. Check my spelling on that if you were still doing uh, proofreading. Uh, there are quirky things. There are sudden surprises, sometimes terrible, terrible surprises, like happened um, in um, Akron and happened in uh, in. Uh, outside of Chicago. So there's always these moments where you're going through anything that seems like just another normal routine thing. And then boom, there are surprises. Are you good at coping with such oddities and surprise and surprising changes? Um, I think the answer to that question is, is a pretty complex one because when, when things change around me, I often feel kind of um, like I've completely lost control and kind of like I'm drowning and it's like so jarring and awful. But um, the other day um, I was in the kitchen and my dad told me that I am, that he, he, he said something along the lines of it's, it's scary how well adjusted you are because your entire life I've been waiting for the other shoe to drop and you completely fly off the handle and you haven't yet. And it's really strange. And so I guess I kind of don't, um, I, I, I do a fairly good job of, of coping with that on the outside. Yeah. Wow. Uh, again, you speak for a, a whole generation of <laughs> essentially very nervous people who are in their teens and uh, have witnessed more uh, the highs and lows of life than probably most of us ever did or ever thought we would. Uh, but that feeling of the panic that could come with a sudden external change, that's uh, normal. And it's, I'm not, I'm not diagnosing here, but I'm just saying that, that, uh, one thing that my son Dave and I do when we have our conversations about the social social inaction aspect of, of practice is that we, when we as a human being are putting ourselves out in a moment of time, we are looking at uh, the possibility that our emotions are going to be uh, changed, that 
beyond our control, that we're just going to, in quote, lose it, or we're going to break out in, in song or whatever, but it's our emotions that we, pu we put into the next minute or hour. Uh, and what probably your dad was saying is, uh, is are, you, are you aware now that you haven't had to have many moments of where your emotions uh, flood out and, and you feel out of control? There's a question in there somewhere. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so working working um, with the risk uh, of whatever you undertake next, uh, including moving all the way to Germany, where you're going to be in a whole different um, ecosystem, uh, does require a great deal of self-discipline and self-awareness, which certainly comes through to me right now in your case. To what do you attribute such maturity? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've, I've Take got a stab that, at it. I've gotten that for pretty much forever. And I don't really know. Um, I would guess uh, growing up with parents that are musicians, I spent a lot of time like in restaurants and clubs talking to a lot of like older tenured musicians mm -hmm. um, and not as much like with other little kids. And if I did, their parents were also older tenured musicians. So... <laughs> <laughs> That makes a difference. It really does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to to learn uh, to be comfortable in those settings for for one thing, you know, the club settings and the and all of the and observing uh, the the action before actually performing. You know, people finding moving the chairs and and doing the tuning and and the developing the rapport, instant rapport. If they haven't, if some of them haven't played together, and suddenly they're you know, they're doing a gig. All of that you have a chance to uh, witness uh, quite regularly. Yeah. That's pretty rare. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of us think, you know, kids don't get to see adults now with the pandemic and so many adults having to work at home and do their job at home. I'm guessing that kids are much more aware what their parents do for a living versus when they're left, you know, with a daycare or with uh, left in school and the parents go off. And then the next time they see their parents is supper time. Um, so you, you had a real benefit there, didn't you? Yeah. See your parents. And did they make you carry their instruments into the gig too? <laughs> um, I mean, not when I was little, I would have dropped them probably, but I did. Um, Sometimes when I would be like sitting with my mom, she would say, oh, what are, can you, can you point out the drums? What are the drums doing right now? Or what, what, what note is the saxophone ripping, riffing off of or whatever. And so she would, she's trying to like train me to be a little Mozart or something, probably. Maybe a little Mozart or maybe a, a jazz, a, a bit of a jazz effect scenario or, or actual jazz performer. Because riffing off of someone is a jazz thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I'm going to move us back to the to the accordion again because we're moving down on the clock, and I've been loving getting to know you this way, and you've been very patient with my with my um, my way of being here. Uh, but with the accordion, you can play exactly what every note on the sheet require requires without any riffing without any uh trying a, a different way of playing a chord and i expect that when you are playing in a in an ensemble they expect you to play the music as as written but do you like to have fun with your music with the accordion and once you're into a song start making it Mahaska's song um i think there's there's still a lot of room for kind of customizing things on the accordion even though it's such a complete and kind of square instrument because um at least on mine there's you have the bass button and then you have a counter bass button where if you like play it with uh whatever chord it, it it changes the sound a little bit and so i like to mess with those and then the nature of the accordion is that i can never actually see what i'm doing so it's easy to kind of mess up um with with notes that are nearby and in a way i think that's sort of a virtue because then you can hear things you never would have heard otherwise that is great what a what a wonderful insight that you really can't see. I didn't think about it. You, you can't like crane your neck over and look at either the piano-like keys or the little buttons, can you? you um, I, I I sort of can with the piano ones. It's just not very comfortable. Mm. Yeah, you get a stiff neck after a while. But hitting in quotes the wrong button uh, makes it a little different sound. Now, the to the un to the person who's not listening, they they don't even won't even hear it. But you do. You hear. You hear that it it made a different note, a different sound, and in, in the flow of the music. That's not a mistake if you don't let it be, is it? Um, no. Um, but I think I do probably a lot more than I I should. Ah, uh, well, I'm telling you that's you're free you're you're free to make a lot of a lot of mistakes except you know of course if you're performing for others but in a way when when we started the podcast peter and i and we and when i picked up on the on the book and then when your dad joined in and we and we were figuring out how to have my voice and peter's voice represented in the in all those conjectures we uh very quickly stepped off are uh, very secure ways of doing things and into the unknown, the uncertain, the and relatively unexplored. Uh, and so Peter took a risk to get on to start podcasting when he was really in a terrible health, but he kept, he did it. I took risks to try to figure out how to keep um, Peter going 
in his very last days, which neither of us knew for sure, but it was hugely risky. And if we were really pulling on our professor suits and our cap and gown and all the rest, we never would have ventured out into what those 22 episodes uh, are in that, in that podcast series. Wouldn't have done it. It would have been um, both our reputations might have been shattered. <laughs> uh, so what do you think about that in yourself, moving out into places where you might make more mistakes, where you might be trying some new stuff? And uh, is, there, is, there a, is there a point where that would be not you anymore? like it would have been for Peter and me if we hadn't succeeded? <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of making mistakes, I get really worried about, um, uh, I don't know, using the wrong gender or tense for a word in, in German or something. And then the people around me going, oh, we can speak English if you want. I didn't know you were, I didn't, I didn't know you were a, a, a yank or whatever. And then, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I want very much to be kind of taken seriously in whatever it is that I do. Yes. Um. Indeed. And, and that, and that is, uh, it's, it's, it's really the, can't quite put it a word on this. I want to be taken seriously in whatever I do. That defines the people who've chosen to live a practiced way of life, I think. Because in order to do that, you have to take yourself seriously. You have to be committed to the results you want to achieve, whether they're difficult to achieve or not. Uh, and I mentioned earlier on in when we're talking about the nature practice, there are people who just do, but don't have even any regard whether they'll be taken seriously or don't even take it seriously themselves. And that creates a whole realm of poorly done work, <laughs> poorly played music, badly written postcards. I mean, it's just, it's just human nature to not have a lot of, uh, uh, interest in, in how to make a life for yourself. But for those of us who do, we are definitely interested in being taken seriously. And I have no doubt, having had this conversation you, with you, Mahaska, that you will be, you are and will be very successful in that regard. So uh, I'm going to come back in 10 years and we're going to do this how old are you how old are you now uh 17 and a half okay so 10 years from now uh when you're 27 and a half <laughs> and uh, and i'm 90 oh god i'm 90 <laughs> uh well we'll remember this conversation and i'll say okay did did you achieve all the things you hoped you would when you were 17 and more and you're going to say damn right <laughs> so thank you very much you're a good sport this was not the most easy thing for you to do i loved it i hope you find 
when you hear it that you're uh, you know you're going to be right up there with uh, the guy who repairs V8 engines for for fun <laughs> okay so thank you thank you thanks for listening to the practice podcast where we discuss practice with a capital P if you'd like to hear more listen in on Spotify Automatic Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book on practice as a way of being is available now in digital form something that would be new like podcasting to many of us and it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when peter vale and i originated it several years ago so please come to www my library one word dot world slash practice and you'll see what i mean thank you